Well, thank you for tuning in to another message from The Lighthouse. Pastor Robert Bax is the senior pastor of Lighthouse Baptist Church and a great teacher and preacher of God's Word. We pray that you find this message practical and helpful for where you are at right now. We are in almost the middle of a sermon series called Smoke and Mirrors, Looking for the Meaning of Life. And we are working through and looking at one of the books in the Old Testament written by a very, very wise man, yet at sometimes a very foolish man, and his name was Solomon. And it's the book called Ecclesiastes. If you wanted to find that in your Bible, you can turn to that or look it up in your smartphone or however you choose to look at scriptures. I'll also throw the scriptures up on the screen for your convenience as well and highlight some different things for you. But the book of Ecclesiastes is really one of those books that uh, has been written, it's called part of the wisdom literature and it's about learning to live your life to the fullest. How to, how to get literally, how to get the most out of your life is really what this book is about and the key to understanding the message of this book comes with the understanding of an expression that is mentioned over and over in this book and it's this expression here, under the sun. And when Solomon writes this, he's simply saying, the view that I'm looking at right now, the perspective that I have is a perspective that is on earth, apart from God, living as if there were no God. That's the sort of perspective that he writes from when he uses this expression, under the sun. And we'll see it here today in chapter 6 as we dig into this passage. And what he comes out with is really, as long as we live under the sun and live as though there is no God, we will never be able to live life to its fullest. That's his conclusion that we've come up with so far. And he revisits it again in chapter 6. And it's sort of like a different point to the sermon that he's preaching, but it continues on the same vein on what he is speaking about. And I think sometimes, even in Christianity, uh, there are some Christians that will say, well, I believe in God, uh, and I'm, I know I'm a Christian, but there are times they, they live their life as if there was no God. And there are people, obviously, that are professing atheists who will tell you, I do not believe there is a God. And maybe you've heard someone say that. Uh, you may have known some people who say, I don't believe there is a God. Uh, God has a word to say about that in the book of Psalms. He says, they that say that, he said, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. So God said, someone who doesn't believe there is a God, he says, is actually a fool, but uh, they have to sort of work this out themselves. But there are professing atheists, but I think there are also practicing atheists. And what I mean by that is that people may say without, with their lips that there is a God, but they live their life as though there is no God. And this is where you find Solomon at times, writing his book here, and at times he, he lives his life as though there is no God under the sun, and this is what we find in this passage. Now, what I want to take you to is the very last verse of chapter 6. If you're in chapter 6, I want you to go to the very last verse, verse 12, and, and here is what it says, and I want you to notice what he says here in the order of two words that come up in this verse. He said, for who knoweth what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life which he spendeth as a shadow, very sad sort of words, for who can tell a man what shall be after him, and there's that ominous expression again, under the sun. Who can tell what? Uh, who knoweth what? 
And I want to bring a thought this morning, which is simply, who should come before what? And sometimes I feel like the old Abbott and Costello movie, uh, if you remember Abbott and Costello, who's on first and who's, who's what's on second, and some of you are sort of going, and some of you are going, have no idea what you're talking about, look it up on YouTube, and it's an old, old comedy, uh, and it's a little expression of what was happening there. But he, he's, he's saying, who should always come before what? And it's about keeping our life in order. And this chapter really spells it out on how we ought to do that. You understand God's creation was very orderly. God is a God of order. You know, God, God didn't create the koala and then create the eucalyptus tree. God created the eucalyptus tree first, then he created the koala. God didn't create the swordfish first and then create a sea. He didn't do it that way. God created the sea, then he created a swordfish. And so he does that in all of his creation. He sets out his laws and his principles with a system of order. And he said, if you follow the order, you live to the fullest. If you get out of order, you exact the consequences of being out of order. And, and this is what happens in this passage of scripture here. He tries to help us get the who before the what. And I think in life, we can make the uh, mistake of focusing on the what instead of on the who. And we don't give enough attention to the who when we get caught up with what is happening, what, was, what should be done, and forgetting about the who. And, and I want to deal with that in this lesson here today on this talk, talk this morning. I, I think about this as well. Sometimes we uh, talk to young people or, or children, and, and maybe you, you've said this expression, and you might say to them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I know we say that. What do, you, what do you want to do when you grow up? And it is an expression that we give to people or a question we ask them when really we need to ask them and remind them first that there is a God in heaven who, who has an absolute perfect plan for your life. And it ought to be thinking about the who. What do you think God, God himself, would want you to do in life? And bringing the God in before what you're about to do. The what is taking place. And always understanding that because we need to remember, when I know that God is, is real and I, and I come into his presence and I, and I seek him and I say, God, I want to do what you want to do first, then he does direct us. He does direct us into those things. And understand this, throughout life, God is always bringing us to himself. He did that to the nation of Israel. He said, I'm going to gather you like a, 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 an eagle and, and bring you unto myself. And he would speak about these things. And sometimes you might think, I'm in a very unlikely place right now. And I want you to think beyond the place where you are right now, because it's, it's not a place to which God has ever called you. It's always to a person. And that person is Jesus Christ himself. And God is saying, I want you to always put me first, then think about the place, then think about the position, then think about what is taking place after that from there. God is always working in a way to bring us closer to him, to draw us to himself. Now at times, uh, undoubtedly, at times unquestionably, there are moments where you feel like you're in a moment of darkness and you can't see the who. And all you can see in front of you and around you is the what. And we find that, for example, 
In Corinthians, Paul writes, For now we see through a glass darkly. We just can't see what we want to see and we're stuck with, we can't see further on into the future. We're stuck in this. But then he says, but then face to face, there will be a time where you will know all things. Now I know in part. And he tells us there is at times a, a tendency just to get focused on what's happening now because that's all I can really focus on, on the what right now. But he always reminds us that there is a who. God knows what's taking place. So later on he says, just remember... Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness. Just remember, there is a God who will explain the dark moments of life to you one day. You may not get it right now, but just keep him first. Just put the who before the what. And I think this morning, the the sort of theme is really this. What we do is never going to be as important as who God is. That's what we pick up in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. This is what we're going to draw out from here. And I want to premise it by taking you to another psalm quickly, which I'll mention three things. You can jot them down if you're following the sermon guide here this morning about this idea of the who. And to understand that we ought to trust in who before the what is ever revealed. Trust in God before the what is ever revealed. He says in Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. What will happen to you after that? But the first step is trust. Trust in him before whatever's ever revealed. The second thing is this. We ought to delight in the who before the what is received. He said, delight thyself also in the Lord. And guess what? And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. He doesn't put it the other way around. He doesn't say, when God gives you the desires of your heart, then delight in the Lord. He doesn't do that. He doesn't tell you, when God puts this in your place, then trust in him. It's always trust, then the what? Delight, then he gives you the the direction from there. And similarly, we commit to the who before what is ever recorded, whatever's going to take place. Commit thy way to the Lord. Trust also in him. And then what does he tell will happen? And he shall bring it to pass. Again, it's the who before the what. Does this make sense to you this morning? He's, he's telling us this is where we be. Another verse of Scripture, my wife's favorite verse of Scripture, is in Psalm 3, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Notice this again. Trusting in the who always comes before we really know the what of our direction. But we get very frustrated in life and we want to know the what. We, we are constantly searching for the what. Uh, and we said, where's the, what's the what? What's the what? What's the what? what? What is it God wants me to do? What is it this guy should be doing now? What should be happening here? And, and we ought to be saying, hang on, let's go back to this scripture. Let's, let's read it together, can we? Let, let's read this together on the screen here, on your notes or whatever you have it. Ready to start. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall Direct thy paths. Now turn to the person next to you and say that to them. Turn next to them. Ready? You can follow along. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's what he's telling us. He's saying, listen, say this to each other. Remind each other. Where does it start? What's the first word? Trust. Who? In the Lord. Trust the who. And then guess what happens at the end? The what is revealed. 
the what will take place from there. So he tells us, let's get this in order from there. What we, what we want to do is sometimes we want to direct our paths and we want to find out what we're supposed, where we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do and it, it overwhelms us and God says, no, 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 no. Tr- trust in me. Lean on me. I- I'll do the directing. Just lean on me and-, and I will direct those things. And we're reminded again, just keep the who before the what. Now, I know we're dealing in a very uh, Christian sense here, in a spiritual sense on, on putting God before the what. But let me remember, remind you that sometimes we need to get this in our, in our homes as well. Always put the who before the what. Otherwise, the what becomes more important than the who. Sounds like I'm talking Dr. Zeus or something, doesn't it? (laughs) But here is what, sometimes we get so preoccupied with the things we do for the members of our family that we forget we're doing those things for the people we love. And it becomes more about the the task, the, the project, what needs to happen or what I'm doing And we forget who ought to become before what. If you've ever had to care for a sick person, sometimes it's very easy to get focused on the what and forget about the who. But if you put the who first, then the caring aspect of the what isn't as much of a burden because you get focused on the preciousness of the who. Are you with me? And you're looking after your children or you get a little bit frustrated at times with your children, not that any of you ever would, uh, that your children might exasperate you at times. I saw an incredible little clip this week about a little boy that went viral uh, about uh, his mother told him that she was pregnant and she's about to have another child and they already had two kids. And this little kid, he's like five years old, just says, what? Why did you go and do that for? He's talking to his mother, you know. And he said, he turns around and says, this is exasperating. It was quite funny. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But this little kid, and he's saying, I just can't take this. But what he's telling us is sometimes we, get, we do get focused, not the little kid, but we get, we get honed in on issues. Sometimes, listen, we, we get so involved with the work of the Lord, we forget the Lord of the work. Sometimes we get so consumed in, in figuring out the Word of God that we forget the God of the Word. And he's saying, don't ever, ever get the what before the who. It'll mess you up. Always strive to put the who before the what. And how do we do that? What can we do? So here are some things out of this chapter that I want to direct you at your attention to. Now, what he does, Solomon has been almost painting, if you would, a self-portrait. You ever tried to do a portrait of yourself? Maybe some of you have. A lot of us uh, maybe do selfies of ourselves or something in this generation. But you, he tried to do self-portrait. This is one of my favourite self-portraits. I love it. I just love this. Because we often see ourselves far different than what we really are. And we look at it and we paint a portrait of maybe how we want to project to others, this was me. They tell me that when King Henry VIII had his portrait done... Uh, it was a very daunting task because if you didn't like the portrait that was done, well, you were executed as an artist. So it was a bit of a tough, tough gig. But here is, here is this portrait. There are some of the famous self-portraits that have been taken and, or drawn or painted at different times. But Solomon, 
Solomon comes in because you look at uh, the portraits that people paint of themselves and they try to portray something and often something very deep, meaningful and when Solomon comes, he's been painting a brush of himself as a, as a bewildered philosopher. He's been doing strokes up here. I was almost thought about getting uh, Tanya Blakely up here to paint something while I was actually speaking like she did one of those other services and and paint this thing. One place, he, he paints himself as this hedonistic playboy. He then, he paints himself as an industrious worker, and, and then, then he looks at himself as an oppressed victim. And you can see him painting with words this portrait of who he sees himself. Then he looks at himself as the disillusioned top dog of society. And he's just so disillusioned with life to where he sees, you know what, really, I'm just a greedy materialist. And then comes back and says, but I want to be a committed worshipper. And now he hits chapter 6 and he paints himself a picture that evokes somewhat vivid images. And it, uh, it bears resemblance to what we've already seen, yet there's a, a difference that's striking. This is a portrait here that he paints with dark, drab colours and conveys a sense of pain struggle, anguish, and he now paints himself as this troubled king. And it's all because he gets the what in front of the who. And his advice would be, get the who in front of the what. And here is the first thing that we can pick up. We need to always remember this. Realise God must come before what, what we strive to possess. Always remember this, God must come before what we strive to possess. If what we strive to possess comes first, I'm going to tell you, you live a miserable life. You chase after the money and that's what you're after, you live a miserable life. I've just got to get this job and get this position and get this thing and it becomes your consuming strive of life, you live a miserable life. But if you put God before what we strive to possess, now we get things in order. Because you'll start to get what you strive to possess balanced in your mind. And you'll understand what he's saying. So listen to what he, what he says uh, in this passage here. He said, there is an evil which I've seen under the sun. There he is. Where is he? Under the sun. In a good place or a bad place? He's not in a great place. And he said, it's, it's common among men. He said, a man whom God hath given, look what he's given, riches, wealth and honour and you say, well, who, who's he talking about right now? He's describing himself because way back when he was a young man, when he was in his 20s, God said to him, I'll give you riches and wealth and honour. So we know he's talking about himself here but he, he has to remember something and he states it here, God hath given riches, honour and wealth. God giveth him not power thereof to eat. He goes on and says, here is the difficulty I've had. God gave me riches, wealth and honour, so that he wanted nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. He's painting a picture of himself. I had everything I wanted. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity. It's an evil, evil disease. I mean, he's, he's looking at it like he's painting a picture of like a, a diseased person in his whole body looking at what's happening and he feels like I've been ripped off in life and I realise that 
everything I have, I, I should have connected this, that was from God. And, and I was the one who went striving after riches and I went striving after wealth and I went striving after all these position of life. And I needed to, I needed to just remember it was God who gave me any of this. And I forgot it. And, and whatever you do, don't go striving after riches. Don't go striving after wealth. Don't go striving after honor and forget to put God first. That this is where he's at. And he's saying God gives. And there are some things God gives. There are some things God withholds. And he said, I've been striving and striving, putting this first. And then he speaks about this stranger. And he said, this stranger eats it. And everything I tried to do, it just kind of went through my fingers. And I had struggled with it. And I don't know who he's referring to here. Uh, some think maybe the stranger was, was, a, was, was a disease, was a sickness. And he's thinking, what was the use of, of possessing all the riches, wealth, and honor? And I can't even enjoy it. I can't even enjoy it because my body is riddled with disease. Some think it was some, some domestic conflicts. I mean, listen, the guy's got a thousand women that he's living with. He's going to have some domestic conflicts. Uh, he's got whatever's taking place here, trouble in the home. And, and the stranger enters and the joy exits. And he's thinking, what, what was the use of all this? What was this? And, and sometimes the stranger causes people to evaluate God. Whatever has come into my life and seeming, seemingly becomes the destroyer of my happiness, the destroyer of my joy, that stranger comes in and we get caught up with that. There was a, a guy called Rabbi Kushner. He wrote a book called There Is Only One Question Which Really Matters. Why do bad things happen to good people? Anyone ever heard that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? And Rabbi Kushner uh, wrote this book. It's not a great book, but he, he, he said this. This is some things he said. He said, listen to this. This is a guy who's trying to give you some comfort. And this is the problem when you get what before who. Life is not fair. The wrong people get sick. The wrong people get robbed. The wrong people get killed in wars and in accidents. Well, if, if all you focus on is the what, you'll come up with that conclusion. You'll start to think like Solomon. You'll start to think like Rabbi Kushner. And you'll start to say, well, this just doesn't seem fair. Why, why, why did it happen to those people? They were good people. Why did they suffer? They were good people. And when you focus on the what, you will always live with a perplexed state of life. He goes on further and says, almost blasphemously, he, he goes on and says this, even when God has let you down. That is the words of Solomon. What I've taken here is a, a modern day Solomon passage. Here is Rabbi Kushner telling us, even when God has let you down and disappointed you, and, and by the way, don't sit there and think that you act like you've never had some of those thoughts either. We, we all have had thoughts like that. God, I feel like you've just let me down. And when we think that way, we've got to remember, that's an under the sun view. I've got what before who when I start to think like this. And, and I get to this point, and well, how did you let me down, God? How did you disappoint me? By permitting bad luck and sickness and cruelty in this, word, in this world. 
and you learn to love and forgive him, well, forgive God. Despite his limitations. And you say, what happened to this dude? i tell you what happened to him. His son got killed in an accident. And he served his life as a rabbi. Trying to bring shalom to a chaotic world. And he gets to the point like Solomon and says, why do why bad things happen to good people? Well, here's what we know from the God perspective. Jesus said, there is none good. And Paul said, there is none good. No, not one. God is good. We remember, we always have to put God, and because this is what we know. We know there is a good God who works all things together, what? For good. See, this is putting God, Romans 8.28 is putting God before the what? And if we're not careful, we can easily get an under the sun view and start to put the what before the who. It's not that we don't believe in the who, we just get him out of place. And Solomon was learning this statement. He was learning that every ability, every opportunity is a liability until it's yielded to God. Whatever you go through in life, it can become your downfall unless it's yielded to God. The good things, the bad things, the great things, the not so great things, yielding that to God. Otherwise, that ability, that opportunity can become a liability in your life because it's not about what we have or what we can do. It's about who, who gives or who gives not. And that's what he's saying. God gave, God gave not. And then he throws this really a little bit of a morbid uh, illustration in, in this point here and he compares a 2,000-year-old man to a, a, a stillborn child. And here's what he says. He said, if a man, if a man begat 100 children, and he probably did with 1,000 wives. I'm not sure. <laughs> I reckon something's going on there. But, well, you didn't have 1,000 wives. We'd have 700 wives, 300 concubines, or back to front. Anyway, still too many. If, if a man begat a hundred children and lived many years so that the days of his years be many, long life, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say then, an untimely birth is better than he. Right? He's telling me, you didn't see anything in living a long, long life and you really think the kid that never got born never got a chance to even breathe a breath, is better off. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness and his name shall be covered with darkness. Well, man, he's a little bit, a bit harsh. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun nor known anything and this hath more rest than the other. At least he didn't have to suffer. What a view. Yea, Though we live a thousand years twice told, if I live to be two thousand, yet have you not seen no good, do not all go to one place. I mean, he's. Pastor, when are you going to get out of these depressing sermons? Seriously, can you get something into like, can you go back to Philippians or something nice and joy? Or, well, see, this is what before who? What will never bring joy? 
When you get out of order, it messes everything up. And, and the point is this, you could live twice as long as anyone else, you could have more children than anyone else, but if God is not involved, it's worthless. It's absolutely worthless. And sometimes people think that if they had a family, they could get all the joy and fulfillment they could ever want just from their family. And he's saying, you could live without 2,000 years, and you're not going to get it. And he said, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And, and the other, other end of the spectrum is, well, well, the untimely birth of a child, the, the stillborn, never sees the light of day. Well, you know what? He never experiences the disappointments of the rich man. He never experiences the, the problems that he went through. Probably good, probably better off than I am. And this is where he's at. There was a, if you've ever traveled to the United States, there's a big uh, department store over there called J.C. Penney. Uh, it was started by a man called J.C. Penney. And he, he accumulated, obviously, sort of like Woolworths was started by a guy called Woolworths. Really? Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, here is, he got, he got really sick and he's in hospital and he's thinking, yeah, my life's finished and I've, I'm checked in to die and and he's starting to write his farewell notes. And he got up one night and started to walk down. And he heard a chapel service and some people singing. Some of the nurses were gathered and they were singing that, that old song, No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Some of you remember that old hymn. And they're singing that. And all of a sudden, he said, it just sparked life back into him. Those words remembered, God will take care of me. God is the one who needs to be first. And revived his faith with those words and, and he kicked back off, went back, got well and, and went on to uh, and continue to build his massive business. But he got to a point where he realized, I had the back to front. I had the what before the who and I need to bring it around. Let me, let me hasten. Here, here's the next thing. Recognize God must come before what we pursue in life. Recognize God must come before what we pursue in life, similar to the possessions, similar to this. And he, he lists a few things here. Let me give them to you. What, what we spend our time pursuing, he's telling us, what we spend our time pursuing is not as important as making sure God has directed us to pursue it. Do you, do you, let, me, let me say that again. What we spend our time pursuing is not as important as making sure God has directed us to pursue it. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Is that the career you should be pursuing? Is that the study you should be pursuing? Is that the person you should be pursuing? Is that the opportunity for God you should be pursuing? What is it that you ought to be pursuing? If God hasn't directed you, if it's self-directed, Solomon says, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. You've got the what before the who. Getting it in order. So let me give you a couple of things he says. Verse 7, our pursuit of work, he said, cannot satisfy our soul. All the labor of a man is for his mouth and yet the appetite is not filled. Work, work never pays in the currency of heart fulfillment. You will never get it that way. Uh, work is about food for the stomach rather than for the soul. We eat and not too long after, we're hungry again. And some of us more frequent than others. Uh, it's just how it is. And they're just like appetites of life. And what do we want? Just something more. Where do we want to live? Just some other place. When do we want it? Now. You know, the, you know the whole script. And it goes back, it was like a chant, wasn't it? What do we want? Uh, 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 and it goes back from there. It's like the cheerleading chant of life. We, our pursuit's not going to satisfy. Our pursuit of wealth, again. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knoweth to walk before the living? He's telling us, you know, you could have the greatest 
education, you could have all the wisdom that you wanted, uh, and there's really no advantage. He's telling us that if God is absent, we're going to stand before God, and God is not going to turn around and say, let me ask you how many degrees you got when you're on earth. Not going to be a question. He's saying, it's not going to satisfy if I don't get God first. Let God direct your pursuit of wisdom. Uh, He's not going to ask you about your IQ level. God already knows that. He's not going to ask you what your OP score is or what's the new thing now, whatever that is, the new one is. Uh, Not going to ask you about that. And he's just telling us it's a good education is desirable, but it's not as important as a heart that knows God through Jesus Christ. Yeah, he said that is the key. How many of you have ever studied stuff on evolution and looked at some of the hoaxes and things through life? Maybe you have. One of the biggest hoaxes was the Piltdown uh, man who was um, Charles Dawson claimed to, in 1908, find an ancient skull in Piltdown in England and uh, more bones were discovered and suddenly the world thought that Darwin was right. Piltdown man has been found. The missing link! And put it together and there was scientific literature came out and one of the great advocates following Dawson was Sir Arthur Keith and he was a leading uh, at, uh, dealing with anatomy and uh, he wrote more about Piltdown than anyone else and spent his life on it. At 86 years of age, two men, Kenneth Oakley and Joseph uh, Weiner, visited his home who were involved with things with Dawson and told him, that Piltdown Man was a hoax. And it's now revealed, it's quite, you can look it up on YouTube and look at all this stuff, it was an absolute hoax. It was an old human skull, the jawbone of an orangutan, and a dog's tooth. And this man had trusted a fraud. He wrote in his autobiography that he would often go, as a young man, go and attend evangelistic meetings. And would watch people as they would make their profession of faith in Christ. And he said that he he often felt on the verge of conversion, but he rejected the gospel every time because of what Charles Dawson had found. And he believed completely that this whole idea of creation was false. And at 86 years of age, he finds out that he had trusted a phony his entire life. The pursuit of wisdom. And how many people just continue to push for that and push for these and miss out? God has to come first. God has to come first. Some of the great discussions I've had with people on creation have been, have been with uh, some of the creation scientists who, who put God first. In fact, when um, Josh was born, one of our boys, uh, he, we, we had a, a doctor who was uh, to deliver him. He was a creation scientist and we had cr- tremendous din- discussions as this guy who was speaking from a scientific position, understanding God comes first and then he puts his science afterwards. And it was just an amazing, amazing thing. The next thing he tells us is we should learn to be content with what we have. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. There's also a vanity and vexation of spirit. And you sort, of, you sort of draw from this passage here, he's sort of being the realist rather than the idealist. And he said, don't live the dreamer life, don't live the fantasy world, enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. You know, that, we probably get that little expression, maybe a, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Or a Big Mac in the hand is better than the pheasant under the glass, you know, whatever you want to put it, however you want to say it. 
he's telling her this, he said, just be careful you don't get hooked up with these things. And, and thinking about, well, this could happen and maybe this is going to happen. Have plans, have desires, but don't let that become the consuming of your life from there. Unless, he's saying, unless God has a proper place, these things are going to be empty, empty pursuits. And the last thing, jot this down, remember God must come before the path we choose. God has to come that. Uh, some of you young guys and young ladies who are, who are planning careers and planning futures and these things, seriously, if, if there's one thing I could tell you as your pastor is this, get God first before you choose a path. Don't choose a path and then ask God to come and bless it. Get it the other way around and just say, God, what, what is the path you have for me? Listen, from the time I was eight years of age, I chose my path. And at eight years of age, because I played soccer with Simon Pepper and his dad was a judge, I thought, I want to be a judge. I want to be a lawyer. And so at eight years of age, everything I did was pursue law. That was my path. And then I came a point in my life where God said, are you going to put me first or your path first? And I had to make a choice and I said, God, I want to put you first. And I continued to pursue that path until God says, now you've still put me first? Yes, okay, I'm shifting paths. And I'm so glad. And let me put it this way. This is for me. God called me to be a preacher of the gospel. Why would I ever stoop to become a lawyer? Now, I would never have said that. I would have always said, I want to be a lawyer. Why would I ever stoop to become a pastor? But I put God before what? And, I, and I, it just makes the difference of choosing a path, of choosing the path. And we have to ask this question. Is God in charge or is he not? I have to surrender. You understand God never, God never in heaven, you'll never hear this, this in heaven. You'll never hear this, ready? Oops, <laughs> you'll never hear it. You'll never hear oops in heaven. That's the, word, that's the word you never want to hear when a dentist is working on your mouth. Oops, <laughs> I don't want that. Uh, sorry, Lisa, sorry, Andrew. But, uh, not that they would ever say that word. Great, great dental technicians. There's not a shred of evidence that there's panic in heaven. God never says, I wonder what I'm going to do now. Never does that. He's in charge. He's in control. And he goes on and says this statement, that which hath been is named already. God is sovereign. He's the, he's the beginning to the end, the first and the last. He's alpha. He's omega. And by the way, when you name something, you own it. You have dominion over it. You have control over it. Uh, for example, when Adam was told to name the animals, he had dominion over them. And when God said, I've already named it, he's in control. He has purpose. He has plan. He has the Romans 8.28 passage. And that's why you and I should never just say, I, I need to unwind my past. I wish I... Uh, listen, God allowed me to be born to Leilani Louise Bradshaw, who's now Leilani Louise Dobson. God allowed that. I didn't choose that. He did. God allowed me to be raised in the place I was and, and work through the place I was. God, God worked through those things. He's still on the throne. He has been on the throne before I was born and after I will die. God will still be on the throne from there. And we need to always remember that we don't question him. He is the potter. We are the clay. He works through that. And he goes on and said, and it is known that it is a man, that it is man. He's telling us that man, he, man has been known. He knows what we are like. This is who we are. And because God knows who we are, he's already named it. We ought to do that. Then why do we ever try to argue with God? He's far mightier than us. Why do we ever contend with God? Why, why would we ever think, God, I can out-argue you and I can out-contend you and I can... We're never going to. 
Far better position to say, God, you're first, I'm second. I, I will always take that position from there. And then he asks a question that's an interesting question. He said, seeing there be many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? And he's under, under the sun view, and he pulls out that, that Hebrew word, debarim. Some people call it words, but I definitely think it should be things because he's listing off all the things, the inability to enjoy riches, the physical appetite can't be satisfied, the wandering of desire of the mind, coveting things you can't get your hands on, all these things. And he said, seeing there be so many things and everyone has a better idea that's going to do this and do this, it just increases more emptiness. He said, what, what are we the better? What, what are we the better? What's happened? How has this helped me? And then he goes on and he said, for God, for who knoweth what is good for the man, for man in this life? All the days of his, all the days of his vain life. I mean, what an expression. His, his just smoke and mirror life, which he spendeth as like a shadow, just sort of zipping past. Who knows what's good for a man in this life? I'll tell you who does. God does. God knows what's good for you and I. God has an answer. When we hit chapter 7 and 8, he picks it back up and says, God wants you to do the best way. He, he wants me right where I am, doing right what I'm doing now. He simply wants you to do the best where you are. And sometimes we're unhappy and we're miserable, thinking, I can't be happy now. I cannot be fulfilled now. Uh, I, something must change. Someone must go. I can never be happy in this moment. And you're never happy because you're always looking for someone or something else to make you happy. And God said, just don't, don't look for that. Put me first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And, and all these things shall be added, added unto you. Because you understand God is the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the future. For who can tell what a man shall be after him? Shall be after him under the sun? Well, I'll tell you who can tell. God can. Because God is the God of the past, He is the God of the present, He is the God of the future, and He knows our future. Nothing comes to you or I that doesn't go through Him. He, he sees this and understands that. And when I know that who comes before what, it sort of settles your heart no matter what is happening. When you recognize the who is always before, it makes a difference. George Young was a carpenter who went on and became a preacher. And he was a great carpenter, building things and doing a lot of things and uh, helping out churches, building things. And, but he got, he got a call to God and he, he started going preaching and traveling around. And he and his wife would travel and he'd preach amongst churches. And he said uh, there was an opportunity came where he was home for a little while and he he took his carpenter skills and built him, him and his wife their first home. Beautiful home. He would go off preaching again. The young man got quite offended at something that George Young preached as he was preaching the gospel. And this young thug went and burnt down their brand new home. They came back from ministry. See their home, home burnt to ashes. Everything was gone all their possessions. He said the only thing that wasn't gone was our relationship with God, the ministry he'd called us to. And within a few days, he, he wrote down some stanzas to, to, to an old, old hymn. 
And some of you might remember that song. And shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet. Remember, he's just lost everything. God leads his dear children along. Where the waters cool, they flow and bathes the weary one's feet. God leads his dear children along. You remember the chorus? Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through his blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song. Listen, in the night season and all the day you know how he could write that song he goes on and says sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright God leads his dear children along and sometimes in the valley in the darkest of night God leads his dear children along those sorrows befall us and evil will suppose <laughs> God leads his dear children along through grace we can conquer and defeat all our foes why God leads his dear children along. Away from the mire and away from the clay, God leads his dear children along. And away up in glory, eternity's day, God leads his dear children along. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire. I wonder what he meant when he wrote that and how he felt. Some through the fire. but all through the blood. Aren't you glad that Jesus died for our sins and shed his blood for our sins and offers forgiveness of sins and we have the sure and eternal hope of heaven when we trust him as our saviour? And he says, that's why you can say, some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all that I don't. God leads his dear children along and simply knowing who God is and understanding his love for our lives helps me deal and live with the what's of life. I said, just put the who before the what. And you can look through the smoke and mirrors because the smoke and mirrors will throw the what and get you all distracted by the what. And he said, no, no, look through the smoke and mirrors of life and see the who before the what. Let's bow our heads for prayer here this morning. As, you, as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe it's a good day for you to say, God, I've, I've, I've had it back to front. I'll be honest, I've, I've taken some of that under the sun view and I put the what before the who. It's not that I didn't believe in you, God, but I got so consumed with what was happening and I was focused on what I want to pursue and what I want to do or what is taking place and I forgot to ask you or to put you first and recognize you know all things. And maybe that's a great takeaway today. And maybe you want to pray something like this today. Dear God, help me as I walk out of this building to consciously put the who, that's you, before what I pursue, what I possess, 
whatever path you want for my life, help me put you first and let you direct the what of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.